What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> Welcome to this first week of the season edition of the Levingston Experience. I'm joined once again by Milwaukee's number one Australian fan in Darren Hill. And as we've just come away from watching the Spurs play, or my beloved Spurs play, your Bucks in San Antonio, the Bucks coming away with a, a well-deserved 10-point victory in what was a pretty fun game for the most part. But uh, you always felt like the Bucks had the Spurs at arm's length and just had enough class uh, to get home. So what did you make? I know you didn't catch all of the game today, but what did you sort of make of that game? And, and more broadly, what have you made of the season so far? Well, um, credit to the Spurs on the second night of a back-to-back, you know, playing MVPs and back-to-back nights, right? Jokic last night in Denver, landing at 2 a.m., then playing Giannis and the Bucks, who are coming off of a they completely sleepwalked stroke, didn't play in Miami. <laughs> stroke got on the bags with PJ Tucker in Miami uh, the other night. So credit to the Spurs for coming out quite plucky. So I'll, I'll leave, I'll leave you to comment, but this is fun to see pop so engaged and just to see him engaged so heavily in the game, not that he wouldn't be, but you know, his rotations are clearly skewing to the young guys. And you got, if I'm not mistaken, Daz, you know, Lonnie and um, Devin Vassell, or is it Vassell or Vassell? Vassell. Devin Vassell, two guys, first two guys off the bench. You know, it's good to see the youth. And they're coming together, right? You can see you can see the foundations of a really well-coached team there. And then from a Bucks perspective, it looked like a taking care of business kind of game where what I saw was, you know, Giannis, Giannis with the spin move, Giannis with the power move, Giannis with the dirt, you know, lowers the right shoulder, one-legged, one-legged sort of 15-footer, Giannis with the pull-up 17-footer. He just looked like he was in, no offense, Jakob Patel. But I look, Giannis looks like he was practicing. Um, and, but yeah, I just no doubt. I just, again, just looking by the, by the box score, I just felt like the Bucks had a bit too much class, as you said, made a few shots, but um, nothing too crazy. And Bucks are quite depleted tonight, but um, still the starting five was mostly intact. So kind of a taking care of business um, game, nothing crazy. Well, I'll say this about the Bucks. I think the most important player beyond the obvious of, of Giannis is probably Brooke Lopez because they don't have another centre on that roster. I mean, all due respect to Mamu, uh, I don't think he's a guy that you're going to be wanting, wanting to rely on at any stage. So uh, Brooke Lopez has become more important, I think. Um, you know, although I guess once Bobby Portis comes back, we'll see. Uh, you know, how, if he's able to take some of the slack there as well, uh, that backup centre centre spot. Well, we saw that's effect in the playoffs, right? And in the finals, you know, Giannis at the center position is, it's inevitable, right? That's going to be a bigger and bigger part of certainly playoff basketball um, and probably even Giannis's career, if you're, if you're honest about it. So I, I, it's a very good observation with, with Brooke out and Bobby out tonight. I think they slid Connaughton into the starting lineup for Brooks, so quite a small, small lineup. So Giannis is at the five, almost it would be entirely, yeah, his entire time out there. So, mm-hmm. um, which, yeah, which is a different spot for him then. With it. It's actually quite, probably quite nice for him. You know, I, I didn't see him, to be honest, didn't work too hard on defense, right? Pirtle's pretty easy to stay in front of. Um, Giannis, he got enough strength. Jakob can hold his own. I'm just no offense to, to Pirtle. He's, he's a legitimate, you know, starting NBA center. But 
yeah, I think it just, it just felt like an efficient game. Like the Bucks didn't have to extend themselves too much, even though they're a bit depleted in the front line because obviously you don't really have an interior attack. You guys have more pull-up um, pull stuff. Well, they were attacking the rim. Stuff. I mean, they needed Giannis's rim protection. When Giannis sat, it was just a, a procession to the rim. Was the it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's when they, the Spurs kept making runs back because Giannis got a bit of foul trouble. A couple of silly fouls from Giannis today too. Um, it has to be said. One of these fourth fouls was a really dumb foul uh, that he committed. And Pirtle played him really well on the defensive end, but Giannis is just such a mature player now. He just thought his way through it and said, I'm going to become a distributor, eight assists, um, setting guys up for open threes and things like that, rather than, as I said to you off air, like I think four years ago, Giannis would have just kept trying to, you know, go through the Spurs wall that they were sort of setting up and the way that Pirtle was playing him um, and, and maybe end up with a really inefficient night. And who knows, maybe Spurs sneak the victory, but uh, Giannis just too smart for whatever defence anyone wants to throw at him now. And even if someone's playing really well individually on him, he'll find ways to... to you know, make a difference in the game. And even though you look at the box score and you think, Giannis, it was more Middleton and, and Drew hitting the shots tonight. Um, if Giannis isn't out there, the Bucks don't win and the Spurs probably win quite comfortably uh, in that one. So that just shows you just the level that yeah. he's at. Um, and poor old Yucca Pirtle, he goes against Jokic one night and then has to turn around and play uh, Giannis the next night because Brook Lopez yeah. is out. So tough couple of nights, but he's playing really well, Pirtle. Um, he, he started the season really, really well for San Antonio. So Spurs fans are really happy with that. And just on that, uh, the, the the Denver matchup, that was one of my early sort of Livingston moments. There was a pass that Jokic did last night. I'm not sure if you've seen it, Daz. I did send it to you on our Slack uh, where he sort of does this cross-court pass and the pass is so good that no one's expecting it, even the teammate that gets it. And he sort of hits hits Porter Jr. And had Porter Jr. been there ready for the shot, he would have been in shooting motion straight up for the three. But he was that surprised by it. And the ball whips past the Spurs player's head. And you know how you get if a fly goes past you and you have that little that reaction like what was that? That's how the yeah. Spurs play. Like no one thought he was going to pass it by a magpie yeah. it across <laughs> yeah. the court, and no one was ready for it. And then everyone was just sort of like, "Oh my god!" You know. And even as I said, Porter Junior wasn't ready, and and the play kind of broke down because uh, no one was on the same IQ level as uh, Nikola Jokic. He was just outstanding. I mean, the, the Spurs just had no answer. And a very similar game last night where the Spurs just hung around, hung around, hung around. But, you know, when you've got guys like Nikola Jokic out there and Barton was hitting shots and things like that for Denver, you just always felt that the Nuggets had the Spurs at arms. Um, and I think, you know, let's not talk too much about the Spurs, but, you know, I, I think that's going to be the yeah. story of the Spurs season. I think they're going to be competitive most nights, but other teams are just going to have that star power. Um, when it matters uh, to pull away and, as I say, keep them at arm's length. So let, let's look, though, Daz, a bit wider at the, at the overall league and particularly about what, what have been the Livingston moments for you this week? I mentioned that the Jokic pass. What have been the moments that have got you up off the couch uh, waving the flag? Because it's been a pretty entertaining start to the season, certainly in relation to what we witnessed last year, uh, particularly as the season wore on and the, and the regular season was more and more unwatchable in my view. It's been much better start to the season um, this year. Yeah, although I do see already a bit of a trend where I think, but this is a continuation of a longer term trend of uh, these these teams. You know, especially the contenders are they're taking nights off though, Daz, right? Where the Bucks, 
you know, just as an example, I know they're not the only one where they, they go into Miami, they, they beat the Brooklyn Nets then lose by 42, you know, two nights later, you know, there's just, there's, there's teams taking nights off. Right. But I think that's a, that's a continuation. I think of a longer trend here, just devaluing the, the regular season, but um, not to focus on the negative on the positive, right. Uh, Steph Curry looks like he's back Daz. Um, I hate starting in the, you know, the big markets, but um, I don't know how much you've caught of, of the Warriors. I caught that first, um, I think it was opening night, wasn't against the Lakers, which was a fun game that the Warriors uh, just out-executed the Lakers down the stretch, um, which we'll probably come back to the Lakers for things that definitely aren't highlights yet. But um, Steph is back, and it's, it's nice to see that team playing. Well, the you know, Clippers the, game was the real one. I mean, that was 25 points he scored in the first quarter and 45 yeah. points overall. And the last five minutes of that, I mean, that's been, I think, the highlight of the first week so far, that first game. And I was actually strange. I was encouraged by the Clippers today in that game. They're playing Memphis at the moment. We'll keep an eye on that as we're talking here. I thought the Clippers played really well to come back from a a pretty big deficit in that one and probably should have won the game just a couple of you know uh, execution errors down the stretch but that's two games in a row where down the stretch you know Golden State had executed their opponent and then Steph Kidd a couple yeah. of just ridiculous shots um, yeah. late in that game just a reminder if yeah. there was any doubt that he is the greatest shooter of all time in, in the NBA <laughs> yeah yeah so that's been fun I, I didn't see the Clips game but I, I've seen, you know, enough of the highlights after this Lakers game, but just kind of zooming out, right, what this, you know, little early week one sample set might look like for the the Warriors is those people who are the optimists about Steph and this team around him would have reason to be optimistic, Daz, when you got players like um, Draymond looks fit. I don't know, it's his eye test for me, Daz. He looks, he looks a bit fitter, looks a bit trimmer than he did last year. So he looks a bit, you know, kind of bouncy and engaged. The shooting, let's, we won't talk about that, but he's Draymond looks, you know, quite engaged. Um, same with Iguodala, you know, he's way up there in years, but that guy is famous for keeping himself in almost LeBron-like condition. So Iggy played 23 minutes on opening night, really effective. You know, I think he was a plus eight as I got the box scarf in front of me. So again, he won't be doing this for 82 games, but, <clears throat> you know, Iggy can do that for 50 in the regular season and be ready for the playoffs. You know, that's a, that's a huge positive. And then, you know, the supporting cast, like the Bielitsa was outstanding, um, how they scrapped him off off the scrap heap last year, but he was outstanding in that game. And again, I don't know how consistent he'll be night to night, but just to have that weapon, that nice sort of high post dribble handoff, um, pick and pop with, you know, with Steph, like how do you mm. defend that? If he's quick with his toes to back up behind the line, that's, that's going to put you in um, all kinds of fits out there. So, and then Jordan Poole's gotten all this, you know, press again he'll be up and down no doubt but all that adds up to um you know there's no Wiseman right in the lineup I didn't mm. see there's no Kaminga I think Moody's played a couple of minutes that's been it yeah Moody's playing some garbage time that's right uh, I think Kaminga's probably a you know he's gonna he probably also garbage time player this year and uh I should have should have said as well Andrew Buddy Weekens made a couple clutch plays Daz in that Lakers game in crunch time a really great hustle play offensive rebound I think it was like a one possession game that the ball whipped around, ended it back in his lap, and he drills a three. I think he took a yeah three point game, made it a six point game. Which the worry with Riggins so, is yeah. that he he gets in these modes where he's like, I've got this, and he goes, I'm the best player on the court. Yeah, and he forgets yeah. there's a guy named Steph Curry out there, and he did that in the Clippers game, 
and he caught he, he sort of almost shot them out of it and then Steph just came down and hit one from the logo yeah and you go yeah. oh okay yep yeah, no that's the dude we want to have the ball in his hand yeah that's on the line yeah. but I agree with you I mean I think Wiggins look if Wiggins was paid 15 million a year you'd be raving about him um, you've yeah. got, you've got to block the contract out and block the the hype out and block what. And it's I just, was the, his biggest fan when he was his rookie. I was talking him up for years, uh, but you know you've got to I guess block all that out now and just look at the way he's playing on on the court. And he's, he's yeah. certainly a, a he's a positive NBA player um, when he's out there, and he's a perfect fit within that team. Which is that's what I said when they made the move to get Russell out, it was a terrible fit. I mean, Russell's probably a terrible fit anywhere, really, other than the putting up stats on bad teams. But Wiggins was a was a really good fit there. And Berlich is, is theoretically a good fit there. And yeah. Berlich is actually playing quite big. Like, he's gotten some, some, some key rebounds in those first couple of games. And he's been quite effective around the basket as well. It's not just sort of how he's been uh, stretching the floor for them either. So that, that they'd be delighted by that. I'm still not fully buying this team because I think everything's attached to Steph's health. I, I just worry they're going to put too much pressure on him and maybe a few too many miles on him. Um, and he's going to be needed to sort of have these 45-point nights to pull wins, wins out for them uh, pretty regularly. So it, it's well, all attached to Steph's health. I mean, if he misses any time at all, they're going to go on, on a big losing streak. My counterpoint to that, I think it's fair, right? It's, you know, welcome to heliocentrism, right? Uh, 101, that's the nature of it. He only played 36 minutes against um, against the Lakers and logged, I'm taking 37 against, you know, the Clippers. And again, that's not light minutes, but it's also not logging 40-41, which we're seeing LeBron and AD already do, Daz. Logging bloody 40 minutes already, mm. right? And, um, and so I guess it's, and so that being said, you're right, very, very, you have to watch that, but um, you know, the minutes look to be mm, teetering on, I think manageable at this point. And then just back to your last point on Wiggins, and I don't want to segue this into a Ben Simmons conversation, but I would say similar temperament type guys, right? Where Wiggins, you know, pretty clearly showed even earlier than Simmons has shown in his career, that he wasn't going to be the alpha, you know, it's just not, a, his, it's not in his makeup to be an alpha on a team. Right, um, not just from a you know a scoring perspective, but from a leadership perspective. And yeah, to your point, he's he has slotted in nicely where he can just be his um, supportive, a little bit dare I say, submissive type of personality, and just pick his moments. And if he can get Steph and, and Dre and Iggy catching him when he does try to do too much hero ball stuff, I think you're spot on. He's just kind of a he should be an effective player out there now that they've got even more, I guess, veteran leadership. So um, yeah, we're going to have a play for. It yeah. is a complete package, isn't it? I mean, and psychology is part of it, and attitudes part of it, work ethics part of it. It's not just the sheer talent. I mean, I think if we we're just looking yeah. at sheer talent, athletic ability, things like that, Andrew Wiggins would be, you know, one of the best prospects we've seen in the last twenty years potentially. But you know, all those other things come into it, and he didn't really have any of it other than the, the natural ability. And I think he's much more comfortable playing that sort of third banana, fourth banana role within a Golden State. Um, where and, he, and he's still got the... I think, I think there's confidence there with him, but I just don't know that there's a there's that real sort of instinct to, to grab the game with a scruff of the net, neck either. Yeah, no. But anyway, some mostly positive signs from Golden State is one that's jumped out at me um, here in the early, in the early goings. Well, another um, team, one of the teams we talked about, Daz, 
to watch at the start of the year. This is going to be my first Livingston moment was the Charlotte Hornets. And they've mm. already played two pretty entertaining games uh, against the, the Cavs and the Pacers. But they were getting blown out. And, and they lost by like a record score in the preseason by like 60 points or something to Dallas. And you, they were getting blown out in the opening night. And I'm like, what's, what's wrong with this team? What, what's going on? And then I, I tune in and they go on a 28-2 run with Lamelo just absolutely playing the, the, the conductor of mm. this orchestra. And it was just a thing of beauty to watch. The crowd's just having an absolute ball. They've got the best... Uh, the the best commentary team in the league, I believe, is the, is the Charlotte Hornets commentary team. They just they get so excited. They and they've got every right to be excited. Like Miles Bridges looks really good. He looks like he could be ready to take a bit of a leap this year. Does mm. in those early games, Lamelo was just outstanding. Haywood took over late in that game against the Pacers, which really impressed me. And I said this to you, like Lamelo was having a, a career night. He's on target for sort of maybe even 40 points and hardly shot the ball in the fourth quarter because it was like, no, we're going to go to our closer. Haywood got hot, went to Haywood down the stretch and Haywood saw them home. So I was re- I was as impressed by the way they finished that game as by the 28-2 run uh, that they used to come back into it. But uh, there's no doubt so many highlights are going to be coming out of, uh, of what Charles are doing um, to, uh, across this season. I think they're, they're a league pass must. Um, not tonight. Yeah, see, it's interesting. It's um, I, I had been pegged for some serious regression this year. I thought they had so much to go right last year. Um, so I could be, well, I could be dead wrong on them if bloody Kelly Oubre keeps playing like this as well, where he looks like that version we saw in Phoenix that year, right, where he just kind of springy gets to his spots. You know, shot making as well. It's another weapon, more of a. Um, he has stretched his game up to the three point line, but he's got that sort of you know, uh, mid-range, floater range, uh, pull-up range um, sort of game, which is another another dimension to go along with Hayward, who's kind of the slasher, who also is quite different than Miles Bridges, who's like the rim attacking, you know, power guy, which is different than Mason Plumley, who's, you know, well, never mind, Mason Plumley. <laughs> He's a good passer. He's a good passing center. He, he does stand and run and be tall. Often. He's not a yeah, he's so. not a black hole. That's the thing about Pum. That's the best thing you say about Look, Plumley. He, what he he, he clears a defense. Moving. He'll clear a defensive board and he'll hit an outlet pass. But and I go, that's yeah. something. He's going to grab a rebound with two strong <laughs> farm boy hands <laughs> and get that out to someone who can do something with it. So uh, yeah, kudos to them and, and to Borrego, who's got definitely got something cooking there. But uh, yeah, I, I picked up um, a bit of that game, which was I know they lost, but. Um, I happen to be watching the Cavs, and I'm, I'm not saying this to placate our four listeners, but I've actually quite liked what I've seen from the Cavs this early in the season. Daz had a really nice W against the Hawks today. I don't know if you want to say more about the well, the, the Cavs. I mean, but, quickly on the Cavs, yeah, uh, they, they, they've got a team, and it's sort of an anti NBA team in the modern era where there's a lot of big guys. But if you're gonna play big guys, play big, you know, crash the boards. Go down low when you know on a regular basis and play sort of an inside out game, and that's what they've been doing. And they've been quite competitive. Like they they blew the game uh, against Charlotte late, uh, but they they held on today against the pretty poor uh, Atlanta team. But just looking at them, uh, I think yeah, Markinen looks quite good in the early early games. Jared Allen's been excellent. Uh, Mobley looks like uh, an early. 
Mobley to me yeah. looks an early um, favourite for Rookie of the Year. I, I think yeah. he's been outstanding, and he's so thin still. Like, but he's got that frame where you can just you can picture it already how this kid's going to look in two and three years' time because it's just the, the natural development. This he, when he fills into that body, he's going to be an absolute beast. Uh, and he's already got a little bit of range on his game as well. So, uh, and, and you sort of put the defense into that as well. Yeah. Um, this kid's got, oh, I think he's going to be something special, Daz. Yeah. I've seen I've, uh, every eye test. I didn't see a second of him. I don't follow college basketball at all. Um, but I, my goodness, does he look the part? He just sort of, uh, and uh, again, credit to the Cleveland for sticking to their guns, to your point. They make some head scratching fucking moves like paying Jared Allen a bazillion dollars, right? Um, and then getting Lowry Markinen, who's also a, you know, he's, he does play, he plays smaller, but he's a big dude, right? And then drafting Mobley, bang, bang, bang. You're like, what on earth are they doing? But my goodness, if Mobley it just develops on this arc, I'm with you. Just, uh, he's just got so much skill. He's got so much skill in that body where, um, yeah. You can just see the upside there. I would, I'll, I'll leave it there. I was going to say, well, I think I mean, word, but just I'm, I'm going to put a, that back in there. Yeah. Well, on a broader point, I think the, the rookies, the early signs of some of those rookies, Daz, has been quite, um, quite encouraging as well. Like Duarte looks really good. Admittedly, he's 24. So you'd think he's going to be able to hit the ground running if anyone could within the, this draft class. Yeah. But he's looked really good. He had 19 points today as well. The paces are one and two, but they've had three really close games. Uh, pulled one out against Miami today, which which was good. Scotty Barnes has looked really good uh, early early days. That Toronto, now offensively, Toronto are going to really struggle unless the Arkham can come back and sort of turn the clock back a couple of years the way he was playing. I think they're going to struggle to score enough points to win enough games, but they're going to have one of the better defences in the league and Scotty Barnes is a big part of that. Uh, and I think Davion Mitchell has looked good uh, in a, mm. a, admittedly only through two games with Sacramento, but he's an absolute bulldog. Like he hounded Donovan Mitchell yesterday and Donovan Mitchell was just sick of him by the end of it. It was just like, will you go away? He sort of reminded me a little bit of the, that sort of early career, Eric Bledsoe, when Bledsoe was at the, at the Clippers and the Suns and was sort of harassing everyone uh, the way he used to when he first came into the league, there was a little bit of that about him. So there's a couple of rookies that have sort of jumped out at me. I haven't caught all the rookie players yet, but they're, they're certainly Mobley, Mitchell, Barnes and Duarte have been the four that have sort of jumped out at me thus far. Yeah, Mitchell was, was doing the same thing in summer league and preseason. He's just, he's also a bit older as well, isn't he? But um, boy, what a pick that also could be. What an, I think I mentioned this in a previous pod, but just a perfect compliment. I love teams like Sacramento who've got players who do something, their strengths are so different with Heald and Fox and, and um, Halliburton and now uh, Mitchell. So um, that's been a bit of fun. Sacramento still has their, um, just a segue there while, whilst we're on the topic, Daz, but uh, um, yeah, they've had their their IQ brain farts, that's for sure, but they've been more fun to watch than, than perhaps many have expected um, as well. I don't know if you've caught any Got new Luke Walton Kings games other than Mitchell I, highlights. I caught him in the Jazz yesterday, and they yeah um, they sort of shit the bed in the last you know five minutes of that game, which is not un unusual for a young team. Uh, but they were certainly giving Utah plenty to think about, but but Utah had a little bit too much 
for him at the end. Uh, yeah. but, but a nice, nice win against Portland on opening night. Yeah. And Portland tonight are blowing out Phoenix. So, you know, there's been a, it's been very uneven in terms of the, the results so far. And I mean, you're seeing, I think, teams are just putting the queue in the rack once they go down by double digits in a lot of these games. It looks like that's what's yeah. happened with Phoenix yeah. today as well. Like they're down by what is it now? 26 points. Um, only early in the actually now it's even 33 points uh, early that's in the fourth bombing. there now. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that's not obviously not not great for them. But uh, so yeah, I can see Sacramento sort of being around that sort of San Antonio yeah. range. They're going to be competitive most nights, but they're just the, the key for them is going to be see some further development um, yeah. out, out of these young guys. One of the yeah. big things. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, sorry, because I'm sorry I segued off into Sacramento land there. But your point, your broader point was about the rookies. Mm. Uh, obviously, Cade hasn't Cade hasn't suited up yet. I guess back at the top of the draft. Um, but I have seen some Jalen Green, which um, only just a peak, Daz. But I, I'm not sure we're going to be talking much about the Houston Rockets this year. But you know, he he looks raw. He looks he looks like he's going to get a lot of shots up. And I just sort of you sort of fear that that Houston team unless they got something special in the next couple of seasons. But my fear with that team and Jalen Green is that becomes, becomes like unfettered Colin Sexton, where mm. you just hope they don't develop a whole bunch of bad habits, losing a whole bunch of games in a very loosely structured kind of offense where there's a lot of guys who uh, want to, you know, want to eat. That's another theme I'm sort of seeing this year, Daz, as well, which is just a lot of these teams have got young guys and perhaps some depth, but how are they going to work rotations and keep guys happy? It's going to be a, a real trick, you know, I think down there in Houston, even though they won't be competitive, I think that could be a bit tricky down there. Um, for well, I think that, that and, and I, it just seems to me to be a bunch of young guys there that are happy to be in the league and, you know, you, you wonder what sort of habits they are going to create yeah. across the year. And then certainly a, a number of them will probably be looking at their stats um, and making sure they just get their numbers each night, maybe rather. I mean, it's, it's a tough coaching job that, um Silas, is it? What's the, what's the Houston coach? Yeah, I think yeah. I believe so. Yeah. yeah so no. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Paul Silas, isn't it? Yeah. The there's the all these kids of I say kids, but sons of famous coaches because you got the Bickerstaff, who's JB Stephen Silas. I nearly said Paul Silas. Yeah, yeah. That's his that's son. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it was the same yeah. as Wes Unsell at uh, in Washington. Yeah, as well, and so. Bickerstaff as well, son of JB, of course. Yeah. yeah. In Cleveland. Yeah. But um. Anyway, so yeah, the rookies are fun, and um, Giddy's shown his flashes as well again in a very uncompetitive environment in Oklahoma City. But I think we talked a bit about him last time too. He's you know he's shown his moments. Um, no doubt he'll get plenty of run there this year. Um, it should be fun watching him next to Shea as well, even though these games might be, um, you know, they might be a bit unwatchable after the after halftime. Well, they've been surprisingly just how bad okay, so have been. I thought oh. they may start the season a little bit frisky, but uh, Houston are probably, well, Houston give them an absolute touch-up. But I think, honestly, I think Houston, okay, so Orlando, they're going to be three all-time bad NBA teams, and and the bottom of the, oh, the NBA, Detroit, yeah. and, and Detroit. I mean, there's going to be four teams, and I think as the I'll be interested to see how Cleveland goes. It's going to be interesting with bigger staff there how they sort of go as the season goes on. Can they sort of keep a certain level of competitiveness uh, to that team? But certainly those bottom four 
I think they're going to rival the bottom four of any season you could think of in terms of the four worst teams in the NBA. Like, you might have a number of teams below 20 games, which that's historically has not been that, that regular that we've seen that. But Orlando, Daz, they are really, really poor. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're going to struggle. I don't know when they're ever going to score 100 points. Um, and they're not they're not good enough defensively to cover um, to cover for that. They've got another first-time head coach in, in Mosley. Uh, there as well. And then uh, Detroit, another team that's really going to struggle to score, like Cade Cunningham's going to have to bring it every single yeah. night. That, and unfortunately, it looks like, I mean, I know it's early days with Killian Hayes, but that that's looking like a bit of a bust, mm. that pick, because uh, he's, yeah. he's shown absolutely nothing through uh, wow. his first season and, and a little bit. Look, let, let's let's have a little bit more patience because he's one of the youngest kids in the draft last year that you would have liked to have seen a bit more. One of the one of the guys though, does that has already shown us something. I think one of the one of the hardest leaps to make is sort of from good to great within the NBA. And we saw this guy; he's no doubt he's a very good player. Can he be a great player? And I think what we've seen from Jar Morant so far this season, again, all very very early days. But the highlight reel does from that first game the Memphis had was just outstanding. Blocks, uh, dunks, hitting step back threes. Like this guy's doing everything. Like, could we be seeing a leap from Jar? And more broadly, if you're sitting there and redrafting that draft from a couple of years ago, do you like seriously? You've got to look at Jar over Zion now, don't you? Gosh, yeah, it was a no-brainer, right? Though I don't know if there was. It felt like a no-brainer, didn't it, with Zion? This generational talent. He hadn't shown a lot of these injuries yet. Um, but I guess we'll I'll put Zion aside, but Ja absolutely is a short answer, right? And I think not just because of the injury history and Ja's ascendancy, but just as the way the league has evolved, right? And just the ability to put a team around Ja, you'd have a, you just got a lot more versatility of, of identifying and developing talent to build a, a team around a player like him, who is obviously a ball handler first and a, Yes, he's a scorer, but he he does look to distribute, right? He's a very active, very willing, very, very heads-up um, distributor as well. He's kind of going to be that high usage scoring and and passing. And so, um, and boy, he, I think you sent me the link. He, his athleticism, Des, um, he got up and didn't he reject, was it Lowry Markinen who was trying to, you know, flex and go in for a dunk and John met him? where his hand was above the square on the backboard. Like, I swear his hand was six, eight inches above the rim and rejected Markinen. And just, again, you love to see the fire and the effort for that. But you, at the same time, you must hold your breath every time a kid like that, you know, jumps that high and is coming down and just the pounding and the ability to, you know, chance to land on someone's ankle or land on their foot. But anyway, jaw has looked scintillating. And in his, you know, his running mate, I know um, Jaron Jackson Jr. is also looking good as, as well. So it'd be amazing to see him, you know, stay healthy, get 70 games under him this year. And then, then an already plucky Memphis team with just a really shrewd front office, you know, has got themselves. I'll know what they have in these two guys and they can you know, take that franchise in the direction they see it. But um, yes, absolutely. Very early signs of, in Memphis, very strong. And not to go too deep on them, but you know they're they're kind of dumping Grayson Allen, who's been good for the Bucks, by the way. 
um, has freed up DeAnthony Melton and, um, and to an extent, you know, Desmond Bain and some of those guys, and that's already paying dividends as well as Melton. I'm just having a glance today. Melton's gone off today in the starting line. He's got 18 points, you know, halfway through the third quarter, you know, on seven of nine shooting. So again, taking a cue, um, taking a club out of the bag, I think is the metaphor for Grace now. And, and so kudos to what, you know, what Memphis is doing. Yeah, I mean, I think they're certainly one of the teams to watch that could make a real rise up in that Western Conference uh, with potentially a few teams sort of uh, underperforming, particularly early on if you can get off to a good start um, and then look to look to continue that. Just on the on on Portland as well, I'm looking at the box score today, something to watch. Anthony Simons, uh, an Anthony Simons siding today, Daz. Uh, he's got 18 points plus 25, so that'd be really positive for them. But Nasir Little's another guy that Portland were, were high on in the preseason, and he's had a decent mm. start uh, through two games. And Rebounding then, machine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's got 11, 7, 2 assists, 1 steal, just does a little bit of everything. And that was sort of the, the that was the, um, that was sort of the draft guide on him, if you like, um, when, when he came into the league was he could do a little bit of everything as he developed. So he, he's starting to show some signs as well, which would be nice uh, for Portland if that could continue. So uh, we'll, yeah. we'll certainly keep a few players there to keep an eye on um, that you're seeing, but uh, but you're 100% right with that with that Memphis today. They would really like the look of that. You know, that's, that's a young starting five they've started today outside of Stephen Adams. Um, so for them to go up against a pretty experienced Clippers team and be doing as well as they're doing today, they're up by eight at the moment. Um, it's certainly good signs for the future for them, Daz. Um, now, moving on, Daz, one of the, the big things that we've been talking about now over these first few days are the teams that maybe things aren't looking so bright for. And and there we go away from the sort of Cliff Livingston view of things, Daz. But I think Cliff would have loved uh, sitting back and having a bit of a chuckle at some of the train wreck franchises as things go off the rails, um, you know, over the years, like he did with his own Atlanta Hawks when Larry Bird was torching him back in the day. What's uh, give me a give me a sense of the the train wreck rankings, Daz, uh, for this <laughs> season so far? Because I think there's been a number of teams. Um, that really have not looked um, all all that good um, in terms of you know how yeah. they've started the season, and yeah, there might be some alarm bells uh, already ringing uh, in places like New Orleans, and dare I say it, even in uh, somewhere like LA. Yeah, look, I think that you've New Orleans is probably the first place to start on um, the jaw injury, um, which was shrouded in in darkness and. You know, without getting into just the, you know, just what you make of that and why they were, weren't forthcoming about it. They hid the surgery. Uh, it was said that, you know, you know, they're just trying to keep it from their, keep it from their fans to try and sell a few more tickets here in the early going and not being forthcoming about his, you know, recovery time, whatever the motive, it just was a bad look, a bad look for the franchise, a bad look for David Griffin. And, you know, just obviously uh, um, disappointing to see here's Zion you know, with another injury like this to his lower body, it's a, I think it's a, a foot, a foot fracture of some variety as well. And then the eye test were, you know, the famous clip that's running around as the, whatever, the meme of Zion showing up at media day in his rookie year, looking like this chiseled God, right. Mm -hmm. um, and then showing up at media day this year, looking like he's been hanging out with James Harden mm -hmm. all summer, you know, looking thick, 
right? And, and not defined. Was it angles? Was it, you know, was he, was he all oiled up, you know, a few years ago and, and he's not this year? I don't know. But the eye test, Daz, also sort of says he looks heavy and he, he, he just looks heavier. Um, and that's a, all these things added up are starting to, you know, just on the Zion part would have you saying chugga chugga um, and start really worrying if you're a fan or a front office employee of that franchise. And then little moments like today, Daz, and they got beaten by a, a pretty average Minnesota Timberwolves team today as well. But Daz, with the treasure trove of assets that they've gotten from Anthony Davis and the Drew Holiday trades, right? Absolute treasure trove of assets that um, David Griffin starting some guy called, I don't even know what his name is, Daz. I'd never heard of him. He was drafted in the second round um, today. Um, let me just get it. Uh, I'm not even going to search for his name, Daz. The point is, how how can a team this far into a, you know, into a Griffin's tenure um, not even be fielding a competent, you know, a competent starting lineup is is something beyond sort of, it's beyond comprehension, to be honest, Daz. Well, his um, name is H. Jones, and he was a plus seven you. in 29 minutes today. Uh, well, to good, for, good for H. So, good for H. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Question about nose. If, if someone, if these, if Philadelphia and New Orleans got on the phone here and had a chat, Brandon Ingram straight up for Ben Simmons. Who says no? Well, two questions, three questions that jumped to my mind. That's a great question, Daz. Um, but scary. I, I so um, boy, Ingram and, and Tobias Harris would be fun. They st- Philly still needs a ball handler, though. So I go, I think that's a it's a pretty interesting in terms of value. Um, it's actually not a bad trade in terms of value, but they're still missing that ball handler, that point of attack guy. Because um, Ingram just feels like tall Tobias Harris to me, right? Kind of ball dominant, kind of loves the mid-range, can kind of stretch it out every now and again, but he's not going to break a defense down nor create for anyone else. Um, that being said, um, he has a head and is trying to play basketball, whereas Ben isn't. Ben plus Zion, on the other hand, right? you got two guys who can't shoot, um, but unbelievable athletes. Um, I don't know how you'd get, construct an offense around, you know, around that, but, man, um, that, that may be the coaching challenge of the, of the decade to try and <laughs> extract an offense out of those two. But, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. I think you're also partly saying how do you – how do you free ben, um, Brandon Ingram is what I think I'm also hearing in your question, mm. which is fair enough because he's a, he's not a great fit next to Zion to be sure. Um, well, seven turnovers today for Ingram. I mean, he did get 30 points, so he shot the ball quite well, but um, they were just throwing it all over the gym. Yeah. 28 turnovers today yeah. against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So the Timberwolves. not really known for their, uh, their shutdown defense. <laughs> Uh, as much as no. anything else. So another great... So, look, and I think that the point with Zion is uh, that you've got... It's a similar situation to Wiggins in a sense where it feels like he's got all the tools it takes to be a superstar, but does he have the mentality and does he have the attitude and the work ethic that you need? And, and what we're seeing so far is it, I'm not quite sure that he does. Uh, and maybe New Orleans wasn't the best place for him to land no, from no. that point of view. But, uh, you know, so the penny better drop soon because you know, part of what I've sort of certainly heard as well through the sort of NBA grapevine 
such that we can follow it is that this this is not a guy that keeps himself in great shape and that can sort of exacerbate foot injuries and things like that as well um over time so it is something to keep an eye on and i guess the zion williamson trade watch might end up happening there in new orleans as well um you certainly expect he's going to sign the extension given the injury histories but uh, they, they may be looking to move him uh, for the for the good of both parties, to be honest. Uh, depending on what they're going to, how they're going to do. But then again, what do you do if in New Orleans, like you've just got a number one pick, uh, who's supposed to be this sort of generational talent, and uh, potentially you're moving on from him? Uh, you know, in in that version of of the world, uh, you'd yeah. be moving on from him pretty quick. So I don't know if that will happen. But uh, certainly there's some alarm bells ringing, Des. So we've talked too much about Philly. I don't want to talk about Philly anymore. Um, but, you know, that Simmons is now claiming that he's not mentally prepared, which has everyone starting to go, oh, mental illness, and we got to support him. And I think that's a, I'm going to, let's just call it highly skeptical. I think that's a convenient, um, it would just fit the narrative of a guy who's just shrunk away from, from every sort of major moment in his career, let alone shrunk away from, you know, the fragility he's shown with a couple comments Doc Rivers made, you know, to, to, to go through all this pomp and circumstance to get himself out of there. So I'm far be it for me, for anyone to criticize someone if they're truly suffering a mental, uh, mental health sort of crisis. I just, I'm, I'm just not buying it. If I'm, if I'm blunt, Des, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit the narrative. I think he's uncomfortable. I think he's um, is completely confrontation avoidant and it's all of his own creation. So, uh, yep. If you can say that's making him not mentally ready to play in practice, to look the other men in the eye and work with them. Um, sure. He has it, but I, I'm, I'm not buying the Michelle Roberts or this, um, this groundswell of um, we got to wrap our arms around poor Ben Simmons does. So I, I I don't well, know if that's full train wreck because Joel Embiid and Seth Curry and Tobias Harris, like that team's still going to be a four, four seed, five seed. That's a very good team. So I wouldn't say chugga chugga, but you know, it's, it's just a black cloud. Um, it's just a black cloud. Look, it does, it does sort of suit the narrative to the extent where we, we heard that Ben Simmons had spoken to Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey and said, look, the biggest problem is I don't feel like I can ever come back and play in Philadelphia because there's just too much baggage there. You know, I I'm going to feel the fans, the pressure from the fans on me. I feel like I'll let everyone down, whatever it may have been. Um, and, and he sort of very, obviously very, very um, sensitive to criticism. Uh, ben Simmons but yeah. I just wonder from his point of view like where do you think you're going to go in the NBA and there's going to be no pressure on you you know unless it's to one of these bottom feeder franchises like an Orlando and I mean even if he goes to Orlando for, for argument's sake there's still going to be pressure on him because it's like you're now going to be the savior of this team and take him from the bottom to the playoffs so where does he think he's going to go other than playing next to LeBron say in LA where there's not going to be any pressure on him to perform. Well, that's right. And, but I, I think it's, and maybe you just already said it, but I, I, I do think it's Wiggins-esque. And I, I had theorized before, you know, it, he's going to need a leader like, you know, um, a softer, more personable leader, like a Steph Curry, like a Giannis, you know, those types of cultures where he can, he can do that, where, 
Joel Embiid is, you know, public and he's transparent and he's very active on social media and Instagram live. And he's a, he's a big personality, right? And so you can see if you're a bit, um, I've got confidence issues that being around Joel Embiid is not going to help you any, right? But you, you know, say what you will, Daz, about, you know, about the nepotism, but when you're surrounded by the, the Antetokounmpo brothers and a Drew Holiday and a Chris Middleton, or, you know, even a Dane Lillard style to an extent, although that team is surely lacking leadership in other areas besides Dane, but that's the type of environments I think about where a guy like Simmons could thrive, irrespective of the size of the market, is that, you know, there's, it, it's just not that lightning rod leader alpha the way, you know, Joel leads. Mm. Uh, does that make sense to you? Like, does it that, does, but I mean, even yeah. if you say Portland, like, okay, you're not going to be the number one guy in Portland, it's Dame's team. Dame's going to take the big shots when it matters, but there's still going to be moments in the, where you're going to have to make your free throws or you're going to well, be expected course. to be out there in the big games. And if you just say, oh, I don't want any part of that, well, then maybe, you know, maybe this is not the, the career for you <laughs> um, in all seriousness. Um, you know, he just sort of, some guys, I think there's, it's almost a curse that they're as good as they are at basketball because they're just totally not suited to playing the game uh, from a psychological yeah. point of view. I think Wiggins is one, Simmons is one. The jury's still out on whether Zion's one or not. Um, I think at least Zion enjoys the game. I'm not even convinced that Wiggins or Simmons even enjoy playing basketball, to be honest with you. Um, you know, and, and Simmons probably fits that bill even more than Wiggins does. Um, from a from a psychological point of view, so it's almost getting to the point now. Last point on, on Philly, where this is now almost just a bad contract, as like, and that's why I think more, there's no way known that Maury's going to move him because I just can't see any team in the league um, coming in and, and making any sort of an offer. Um, and I think that they've they've made the decision um, and the, and they've ascertained that it's better to just sort of sit there and wait it out and see that Ben Simmons comes back rather than move him for, you know, a couple of players that aren't really going to move the needle for them come playoff time. Yeah, it's just back to this trade value is only going to shrink the longer this goes. It's just the the, the, the value is going to shrink, although you might see the desperation rise and amongst, you know, I guess the rival or those are potential suitors. But yeah, this just certainly hasn't played out any way that I don't know what Clutch's endgame is here. Uh, but it certainly doesn't seem to be working. It's it's either you're going to, it just feels like they're just trying to have him get paid is what it feels like to show up and then sort of claim illness where they have to then sort of, you know, show up to practice and sort of be ill uh, mm. so we can get a paycheck is certainly what it looks like, Daz, which just is not going to win any hearts and minds. And then back to your point, yeah, I mean, if I, I wouldn't put Zion in the same camp. He looks like a fierce, fierce competitor. If you ask me, um, just got a health issues, um, you know, with his legs. But yeah, I, oh, I, I think if you're going to no be a competitor, though, it's not just about playing the game and doing it on the court. It's about doing it off the court. You've got, you've got to have that, you know, across every aspect of your pre preparation for the game as well as being on the court. And I think it is for Zion when he's on the court. I'm not convinced he's off the court habits have quite caught up to his competitiveness uh, when he's on the court. Now, having read sort of Yarns' book now, I mean, he's a, he's a different level competitor, but the, 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 the amount of attention to detail and the amount of work that guy puts in off the court rivals anything he ever does on the court. So, Des, how 
moving to our last chugga chugga team uh, that we're going to talk about this week, Hesh, I mean, it, man, you may not even agree that they are a sort of a chugga chugga candidate. How worried should we be about the LA Lakers start to the season? Now, Owen 2, they've blown out by Phoenix, and Phoenix have been pretty unimpressive now through three games themselves. Like they've got the Lakers win, they were beaten fairly comfortably by um, Denver in their opener, and they've been absolutely blown out today against Portland. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, the Lakers, the other loss was Golden State, but they've looked very, very poor in those games. LeBron's had two good games. Davis had one good game, one terrible game. Westbrook's had one terrible game, one okay game. How concerned, because it's sort of, I'll, I'll give my take on it. Looking at those first two games, it's like, if you were sitting there and writing the story about if, if it goes bad in LA, this is how it will look. It's looked exactly that way. No shooting, Russ standing in the corner looking lost when he doesn't have the ball, really giving them nothing. The defense looking absolutely atrocious. AD mm -hmm. sort of only looking engaged when he's getting into arguments with Dwight Howard on the bench. Uh, other than that, he's sort of coasting, looks like he's sleepwalking through the game. Passive aggressive LeBron sort of starting to, to come out. There's, a, there's some crisp passes being thrown already, Daz, I can tell you around the gym. It's, uh, it's looked as bad as you could possibly think. Uh, through two games, how worried would you be about LA? And they've both been home games as well uh, through these first couple of games. We're supposed to say, I'm not worried at all. It's only two games and talent always wins. And Russell Westbrook is an elite talent and they just going to need time to gel because it's very early that this combination of players has been together. And there was a lot of roster turnover in L.A. So that's the answer we're supposed to have, Daz. That being said, everything you just said, I completely agree with. And it, you know, call it confirmation bias or just a little bit of, yep, that's what we thought. When you put this combination of players together, does it even work? And it goes beyond Russ. It goes beyond Russ. Like their insistence on playing Carmelo Anthony 26 minutes a night who hasn't played defense since Syracuse. Um, when you play Dwight Howard, when you play Rajon Rondo, right? You just got an old, unathletic team, Daz, right? That's the other thing I see is, you know, Mikael Bridges, just for, that's sticking out at me, the games I've seen, I've seen both Lakers games, that, that sticks out for me. Just running circles around the Los Angeles defense, right? Slashing, cutting. Chris Paul carving them up, he carves everyone up. But, you know, that's what I wonder is just that these old guys aren't going to get fitter or younger or more spry come April, May, and June, right? And they're already sort of kind of, woo, boy, they don't look like, in contrast, right? I was saying guys like Iguodala and Draymond Green look, they look fit and spry and in the right position and perfectly cast in their roles. So that for me is kind of meta worry number one meta worry number two is what you just said russ who in crunch time i think they play him because he's paid 44 million dollars a year and he dribbles the ball up the court and then underhand soft passes it to lebron and then he runs to the corner as he said and is disinterested which just allows the defense to sag and sag and cause problems and when that defense is sagging and you got lebron james who's had exactly four shots at the rim in two games Yes, he's been on fire from three, but 
but isn't it a worrying sign that he's just not going to the rack and getting to the rack as well, which is going to make that even more, more cloggy. So that's a long, really roundabout way of saying is that I think the roster is flawed with a bunch of really old guys. Um, I think Russ, I don't know how they're going to optimize Russ unless you basically hope for um, a whole bunch of rest, you know, for LeBron and AD where they're going to need Russ 30 or 40 times a year just to do Russ things and, you know, beat the magic on a Tuesday night. But man, oh man, oh man, that is, that is brutal to watch him and LeBron and AD together in crunch time. That is, that is not a lineup that's scaring anybody does. So I don't, I don't know. How do you fix that? Cause you've got Russ, you've traded away your assets for him. He costs $44 million. I don't know how you're getting off of it. I just, I don't see it. I don't see anyone at the deadline, even if they decided that they'd made a mistake with it, getting off of it. So, well, I was watching so, the Wizards yesterday, and I mean, I'm looking at Kuzma, I'm looking at KCP, I'm looking at Harrell, and I'm thinking, wouldn't you just prefer to have that depth than one guy who needs the ball in his hands to be effective anyway, and is totally redundant when you have LeBron James on the court? It just makes absolutely no sense to me what they did. Yeah. I mean, I can I can understand sort of yeah, I know. And there was the talk about the Buddy Hill and um, and Harrison Barnes. I think might have even been from from the Kings for some sort of package uh, similar uh, for LA. That made sense to me. The going for Russ Westbrook made zero sense at the time. It makes even less sense now. And unless they work out a way for Russ to sort of play with that second year, it doesn't even need to necessarily be um, him coming off the bench. I think he can sort of play some some early minutes, go off for an early sub, and then come back into the second unit. That's probably how it's going to shake out. And I think it'll be look. I think they'll steady in the regular season. I'm not suggesting they're going to miss the playoffs or anything, but it wouldn't surprise me if again because they only need one injury. Uh, to one of these guys and they're going to again be you know swanning around in that sort of lower part of the western conference they had to come through the playing game last night it wouldn't surprise me if they're in that sort of area again uh, and when the playoffs start to your point when you're in a close playoff game russ westbrook will be out there and what's he going to be giving you out there he's going to be giving you the the the, the you know, chook with his head cut off on the uh on the defensive end and then on offensive either you're going to have to give him the ball and hope that he does something and doesn't sort of, uh, you know, try and take over anyway. But if, but there's no way it's a better option to give him the ball than give LeBron James the ball at yeah. the end of these games. So yeah. this is this is the big problem. And the worry for them is they play the Grizzlies tomorrow. The Grizzlies are, are looking good to go uh, two and zero. Let's not sort of jinx them, but they're up eight with a quarter to go today against the Clippers. Uh, so that would be that's going to be a very difficult game for them tomorrow. Uh, to come out and try and get their first win of the season. So they could easily go uh, 0-3 to start the season. Um, and then, you know, the, the spotlight's always on you there in, in LA, Daz, with the, the lights shine quite bright. Yeah. And I and one step further, two steps further, and I'll leave, I'll leave this chugger where it is, was the, the obvious um, losses as well on defence when you take away Caruso and KCP, who were fantastic, mm. you know, perimeter point of attack, very, very good wing defenders, right, Daz? And as evidenced by just how piss poor it's going to be in LA with Kendrick Nunn or Malik Monk or in Rajan Bloody Rondo, is almost in confession about their failure 
is they'd signed Avery Bradley, who was playing pretty big minutes <laughs> in that very first game. They signed him off the scrap heap from Golden State, just um, got rid of him, mm-hmm. which was not very popular with Steph and Draymond, by the way. And just as almost a confession and evidence that they're they're they know they already know that they're missing, you know, point of the attack defense is going to put too much pressure on. Well, Vogel's a defense on. coach. I mean, this has been a defense first right. team. And this is the way they've played for the first two seasons together. They were looking like the best team in the NBA last year, Daz, until LeBron got hurt, until AD got hurt, and then it sort of never quite come together for the playoffs. Sure. I was stunned that they didn't just say, let's roll it back, let's try and do this again, rather than go out and, and sort of grab Russell Westbrook, who's far more highly rated amongst the players than he is under any sort of GMs uh, or any analytics sort of person across the league. Um, it just and, and and then double down on all these offense only players like Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk, etc., uh, and Camilo Anthony. They come off the bench, so you've now gone from a defense first team with a defense minded coach, and essentially AD, who should now be their best player, is is more of a defensive sort of player, a defensive force, and that's really where you know, obviously a great offensive player as well, but he can really anchor a great defense when you put good defenders around him. Very difficult for AD to anchor this defense when you've got guys going Olay at the point of attack um, time and time again. So they've changed their entire identity, and I, I don't think it's going to work out for the best, uh, even if they do sort of steady things in the regular season. I'll take that to its furthest conclusion, right? Which is it's a really great point about Vogel. I hadn't even thought about that, but I saw this firsthand with Scott Skiles, right? Sorry to make this about the Bucks, but when you take a the human bruise, defensive-minded, hard-nosed, the human bruise, right? Exactly. Um, and then when they made that trade, they got rid of Bogut for Monte Ellis, which Scott Skiles absolutely blasted. He hated it. One wonders. I don't know this to be true. What, what you just made me question: To what extent were LeBron and the coaches like Vogel involved in this choice? Right? I, I don't know. I don't know if that's their. You know, but I actually don't know how that front office works with the coaching staff there, but. Just you're saying that wouldn't would that surprise you that if you learned that Vogel was, you know, against uh, against the trade, um, and if he wasn't um, or didn't voice it, boy howdy, um, that defense is going to suffer. So I, that's a really interesting point. Of well, I think LeBron point. always wants more playmaking around him. Uh, you know, so he can sort of have have those times where I can rest a little bit, and because he now sort of his big thing is trying to rest within games, and I'll just stand in the corner for a few positions. So I think part of the thinking would have been I need someone else yeah. to be able to have the ball, uh, and he obviously didn't just just um, Dennis Schroeder, despite the fact that he's such yeah. a great signing at Boston. We've been hearing from the NBA media. Uh, all off season does who are also off to an hour and two start. Um, but you know, he obviously didn't trust Schroeder. But to me, you just bring Rondo back and hope that Rondo can fill that role rather than trade all those bits um to yeah. get a guy that you're gonna have to pay that much money to. So look, we'll see there's a, it's certainly some warning signs there anyway. It's an eyebrow raised uh the way they've started. I mean, because go on to look against two pretty good Teams in Golden State and Phoenix is not the end of the world, but I think it's the manner in which they've gone about it. And now you've got guys getting into fights on the bench and things like that. Um, it's you know, there's there's certainly some chugger chugger potential there, uh, even if we're not 
at the point now where the, the train's uh, ready to leave the tracks the way it is in um, in New Orleans. And Boston's the other team. We won't get into them now, but they're a team to keep an eye on. Um, I'm willing to forgive them a pathetic performance where they'll boot off their home court yesterday um, against Toronto because they may have been tired from that the opening night double overtime against the Knicks. But, geez, if you're tired in game two, Daz, uh, it might be a very long season ahead uh, there in Boston. And certainly I hope it is a very long season ahead um, for the Boston Celtics, uh, as I'm sure you you would uh, <laughs> agree with as well. Not, not our favourite NBA franchise. So, Des, let's look ahead, though. What what games are jumping at you? And we might choose a, a marquee matchup each. I've chosen mine already. I'll just give you a couple of quick ones for tomorrow, though. Really fun sure. game tomorrow. Hornets play the Nets early on. So if you're getting up early, put the NBA TV straight on. Hornets at the Nets, the 2-0 Hornets and the 1-1 one one Nets. The Nets have looked a little bit clunky through two games, but they've played the Sixers and Bucks, two very tough opponents. The Celtics and the Rockets, I'll tell you what, there'll be some alarm bells ringing if the Celtics don't take care of business against Houston tomorrow. The worry, but the later games should be couple of real nice games. Warriors at Kings and the Grizzlies at the Lakers. Uh, that's going to be sort of almost must-watch uh, NBA, I think, those, la those later two games because Warriors-Kings have played a number of really entertaining games over the last couple of years. And the Grizzlies, who should be 2-0, they've gone further ahead in that fourth quarter today against the 0-2 Lakers. So a couple of games to look forward to there, Daz. But what's, what's your marquee matchup uh, coming up this week that, that we might report back on uh, next week? I want to have a look at uh, Denver, uh, Utah. On that's on Tuesday. I haven't, I haven't really, I haven't watched the, the Jazz yet. I saw some of that game, game against the Kings, but I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm also, you were in on this early, right? Just how the Nuggets are performing with a pretty healthy backcourt now, right? Even without Jamal Murray, they got a pretty, they got a lot of depth back there, and with, uh, hopefully the ascendancy of Michael Porter Jr. That's what I'm going to look at with interest um, and just I love the stylistic, right? The, you know, the style makes the fight when you got Jokic versus Gobert. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And then uh, I have to scroll later in the, later in the week. Uh, gosh. Oh, well, I'll give you one on Friday. Yeah. Um, there's two on Friday and then Nick's Bulls does. If you love great entertaining basketball, <laughs> That's going to be something else. But there's two good games, I think, going to be back-to-back -back on Friday. I think Hawks-Wizards is going to be a really good game, potentially in the early part of the day. Uh, the Wizards are 2-0, and they've started okay. And that's without Bradley Beal as well, it needs to be noted, for the Wizards. Uh, but the 1 o'clock game, Grizzlies-Warriors, that was, of course, the playing game last year expecting at least one, if not both of those teams to move up in that Western Conference playoff picture as the season goes on. That's going to be a really good indication, I think, of where these two teams are at. So Grizzlies-Warriors is probably the game I'll, I'll report back on for next week, but I'm certainly keeping an eye on that Hawks-Wizards okay. earlier in the day as well uh, on Friday. I'm going to do, I'll do Denver-Utah, and I'm going to have a look at later in the week, it's I think Sunday, no, Saturday is Hawks Sixers, right? Just a bit of, you know, I don't know if there's a rivalry or not there, but obviously with the history in the playoffs, the Hawks visiting Philly um, and the circus that always surrounds Philadelphia. Uh, will Trey show up? Will that will the depth of Atlanta prevail? So that will be fun. So I also looking at that one, Atlanta Philly, a bit of a rematch. 
Okay, mate. Well, look, we'll, we'll see where, we, where we're at next week. We'll try and uh, do this on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening if we can uh, across each week of the season. But uh, it's been a nice start to the year, so hopefully we don't get too many more of these sort of blowouts that we have seen. But uh, we've certainly seen enough entertaining games uh, that keep us engaged in this early part of the season. Yeah, and touch wood, we keep the injuries down this year, Daz. And uh, the Clippers have cut it to five, so I think it's been a time to tune into Grizz Clippers crunch time the last six minutes. Okay, and, and the joy is that next Sunday the Spurs and the Bucks have a rematch in Milwaukee, so we can we can review <laughs> that one. We could lead off with that story again. <laughs> Every listener waiting with bated breath. Waiting on the edge of their seats. Okay, Daz, <laughs> good to talk to you, mate. We'll go and check out this, uh, this Clippers Grizz. See you, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye. Michael Eber's away with it. Cliff Levingston took the charge, and there was no foul call.